Good morning. It's great to see you guys today. Like, like Bevan said, my name's Elliot. I'm the Connection Pastor, and we are wrapping up our series, uh, Locally Grown, where for the last few weeks we've been exploring the agricultural illustrations that Jesus would give when he was here and when he would, ta- when he would teach. And he would give these illustrations to explain how the message about him would spread and also the impact that the message about him could have on an individual's life. So we've been kind of walking through this over the last few weeks, and I've really enjoyed this series. I've had a lot of fun going through this and kind of discovering what we've learned and being challenged in the process. And one of the reasons that I've enjoyed this series so much is because I come from a long line of farmers. I've talked about that a little bit in this series, but something I've learned from watching members of my family and, you know, my father and some other people is there's something uniquely satisfying about growing your own food. I mean, the process of planting and then watching the growth take place and then, you know, bringing in the food at the end and the harvest and getting to participate in that, there's just something really satisfying about that. And in addition to that, something that I'm increasingly discovering and kind of being increasingly affirmed in my life is the truth behind Jesus's agricultural illustrations that he would give. And this reality that when we participate in God's locally grown plan, when we give our lives to helping the people he's placed around us, the people in our spheres come to know who he is, there is nothing that compares. There's no work that we could give our life to that comes close to the satisfaction, the joy, the purpose that comes when we help people come to know who Jesus is. So in this series, we've been exploring these illustrations and seeing how you and I as individuals can be a part of that locally grown plan. Today we're going to wrap up and we're going to look at the harvest. Now this last spring, uh, my wife and I met up with her family up kind of outside of Monterey, kind of central California, and we were staying at an Airbnb type place that was located on a working farm. It was kind of a restored farmhouse. And so we met there with her, her parents and her sister and her husband. So we were there in this um, house hanging out and there were working farmland all around where we were staying. They were, you know, had these big green fields and they were growing all kinds of stuff. And they told us we were free to walk the paths between the fields during the day or in the evening. And so I would do that. The kids would be taking a nap in the afternoon and you know, I would just go for a walk and just kind of look around and see what they were doing. Or maybe in the evening when the sun was setting, my wife and I would go for a walk. And as I was walking through these fields, I, you know, saw these plants growing and just kind of assumed that it was some kind of lettuce, you know, some, it was a really leafy plant, so I assumed it was a lettuce, you know, and I didn't recognize it, so then I was kind of like, well, it's probably something that I don't eat very much of, like kale or something like that, and <laughs> so finally, after a few days of just being like, I, I just do not recognize it, I've never seen anything that looks like that at the grocery store, I went up to one of the farmers and I just asked, I said, hey, what is it that you guys are growing? And he said, it's cauliflower. And I was like, what? That is not cauliflower, dude. I think you're confused on what your crop is here. Because I've seen cauliflower. I mean, I've been to the grocery store. I've seen it. I know kind of what the end product looks like. I didn't realize it had so much foliage around the head of the plant, the part of the plant that we eat. I had had no idea. I, I just didn't even know what I was looking at. So then at the end of our time there, as we were getting ready to head home, they went out into the fields and it was time to harvest the cauliflower and so they were out there and they were they were harvesting it and gathering it in and as I was watching them do this I realized that I would have been completely worthless if I tried to go participate in the harvest and the biggest issue was I just had no idea what I was looking at I mean up until just a day or two before I didn't even know that it was cauliflower but I didn't know what was ripe and what wasn't ripe and what to pick and what not to pick I would have been worthless if I went out and tried to participate in the harvest actually a really similar thing 
happens when we join God in doing our part to help other people enter into a relationship with him. What we see when we look out is really important if we're going to be a part of this locally grown plan. Jesus says this in John chapter 4. He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Jesus is saying, open your eyes. He's, he's not referring to, you know, fields full of food. He's not referring to, you know, a physical crop. He's referring to people's lives. He's referring to people. He's saying, hey, look at the people around you. He's saying, the time is now. People all around you are ready to enter into a restored relationship with God. And so his challenge is, open your eyes. Look, it's, it's surrounding us. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, just like with me and that you know, if I was going to participate in gathering in that cauliflower, I didn't have eyes to see the harvest. I couldn't see what the plant was and what, you know, when to react or when to do different things. I think it's really similar when it comes to participating in God's plan. You know, if we don't have eyes to see it, it's really tough. If we don't see people the way that he sees people, if we don't, we don't view the world the way that he does, it's really tough to get any traction in participating in this. So today, as we, as we talk about the harvest, and we talk about how do we have eyes for the harvest, what we're going to look at is, how can you and I, what's it going to take for you and me to view this city and these neighborhoods and the families that God's placed us in, the people around us, the way that Jesus says they are, to see it as the fields are ripe, people are ready, they're all around us, there's all kinds of opportunities. So what's it going to take for us to have the same eyes that Jesus had to have eyes for the harvest? Well, the first way we can have eyes for the harvest is we need an accurate perspective of Jesus. It's really what it starts with. If we're going to have eyes for the harvest, it starts with our perspective on who Jesus is. Paul, one of the early church leaders, he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. What Paul's talking about here is the fact that before anyone decides to follow Jesus, there's all different kinds of worldly point of views on who Jesus is. Paul, for one, before he decided to follow Jesus, before he became kind of a church planter and an early leader in the early church, he was opposed to Jesus and his message. Paul's perspective on Jesus was that Jesus had a God complex, and Jesus was spreading lies, and so Paul came to the conclusion, hey, the movement Jesus started needs to be stopped. That was his point of view of Jesus. And there's all different kinds of points of views that people have. Some people think, you know, Jesus is a really wise teacher. And there's a lot of good stuff that he has to say on different parts of life. But all the supernatural stuff, that's not real. That was, you know, that was made up after the fact. We just, we, we're not supposed to believe in that stuff. Some, some people think that that's the perspective. Some people think, well, you know, he was a prophet. He's regarded as a prophet, kind of like other people are viewed as prophets throughout history. Some people think all this talk about Jesus is just nonsense and a waste of time, and it has no value and relevance to real-day life. And there's all different kinds of perspectives people have on Jesus. But then something happens, there's a perspective shift when somebody decides to follow Jesus. It's actually what Paul's referring to here, because he says, so from now on. He's saying, hey, we've decided to follow Jesus, so we don't, we don't view him as, you know, he was, you know, spreading lies, or, you know, he's, you know, just some significant spiritual leader, or you know, something else, but there's a new perspective we have. And for Paul in particular, he came to the conclusion that all the prophecies that had been written thousands of years before Jesus ever showed up, all those prophecies that talked about how God would eventually save people, Paul concluded those were true and they were all fulfilled in Jesus. And Paul came to the conclusion that Jesus, in fact, was God. God took on a body. Jesus came, he took on a body so that he could give his life for our sin. 
Paul concluded that Jesus rose from the grave. He actually physically came back to life, proving that he controls death. He has power over death, and he can extend life to every one of us. Paul came to that conclusion. Actually, it's the same conclusion that if you've decided to follow Jesus that you've come to. You've come to the conclusion that he, he wasn't just you know, some wise teacher or some spiritual guru or some significant person in history, but the conclusion that Jesus is, in fact, God. And because Jesus is God, I'm going to follow him. That's the, the shift from a worldly point of view to an accurate point of view of who Jesus is. But even once you and I decide to follow Jesus, there are still some other perspectives that we can have on him that we kind of drift in and out of, sometimes without even being aware of it. One of those perspectives, actually the, the way we should view Jesus, is the foundation perspective. The idea that Jesus is the only solid foundation. When it comes to building your life, the only way to build a life where you won't look back with regret or disappointment or remorse over what's happened in your life is to build your life based on what Jesus has said. That's the foundation perspective. The foundation perspective says, okay, if Jesus says it, even though it seems kind of risky and there's uncertainty and I don't know how it's going to work out, because he's the solid foundation, if he says it, I'm going to do it. That's what this person does. And they realize that you know, when I look at the world around me, when I look at other people, you know, just like a house, it might look really good on the outside, it might look really good co- cosmetically, but if the house or the building, if it's not built on a good foundation, it's eventually going to crumble. The, the person who's got this perspective realizes this about other people, realizes that, hey, you know, like, it might look really good on the outside, the life m- l- might be really attractive, but if the person isn't building on Jesus, you know, they're headed for disaster. That's the foundation perspective. There's another perspective that we kind of sometimes drift into, and I'll call it the accessory perspective. And it's the perspective that Jesus is just kind of an, he's an, he's an add-on feature to life. He's an accessory. So when he says to do stuff and he says to live a certain way, it's all good and nice, and it was, it was good that he said it, and it definitely applied to the people he said it to, but you know, you and me, we can kind of pick and choose. We really don't have to do all that stuff. I mean, this stuff over here that's easy to do, yeah, we'll do that, but stuff over here, you know, that we don't really like, nah, we're not going to do that. Because in my, you know, in my situation, you know, I know he said it, but in my situation, you know, it's just working out a little different for me. You know, so I don't have to do it. He's just kind of an accessory, an add-on. It's kind of like, you know, this watch that I'm wearing this morning. I mean, it's a nice watch. I like this watch. My wife gave it to me a couple years ago. Helps me tell time. Helps me make sure that I'm where I'm supposed to be. But if I didn't have it this morning, it wouldn't be, you know, that big of a deal. I mean, if I got up here on stage and didn't have this watch on, nobody would be like, oh, Elliot's outfit is missing something. He's missing a watch. I mean, it's just, it's an accessory. It's nice. But, you know, at the end, it's, it's really not that big a deal if I have it or I don't. And sometimes we can take that perspective of Jesus, that, you know, instead of him being the foundation, well, you know, just kind of pick and choose. I'll do this, I won't do that. And the reality is, if we take the accessory perspective on Jesus, which we can do, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're not going to do this, but if we take the accessory perspective on Jesus, it's going to be really hard to have eyes for the harvest. It is. And for me, I've got a friend, and um, from the outside, his life, it looks pretty easy. I mean, he's got, honestly, he's got a pretty good life. He's got a lot of stuff going for him just from the outside. And he's not a Christian. He'll tell you that. I mean, he's pretty open about it, that he doesn't believe in Jesus. So as I was, you know, kind of getting to know him, building this friendship, doing more and more stuff with him, hanging out, I was thinking about, okay, how do I, how do I share my faith with my friend? And this thought went through my head is, I don't really know if Jesus would make his life any better. 
And what I realized is when I was, when I was considering his life, I wasn't considering the foundation that he was building on. But I was just kind of looking at it at the surface level and seeing, you know, his life looks pretty good. I'm not sure he would be that interested in another accessory. And because I was viewing Jesus as the accessory, that meant that I was, I was really passive when it came to share my faith. I was hesitant because I was just like, I don't really know. So I was looking at Jesus like an accessory, not like the foundation that he is. But he's not an accessory. He is the only foundation that you can build a life on that has any chance at lasting. He's the only one. I mean, what that means is in our neighborhoods and the people that live around us, you could, you could take the wealthiest person you know, the happiest person you know from the outside, the, the person who, when you look at their life, depending on your measure, they're the most successful person that you know. You could take that person, and if their life isn't built on the foundation of Jesus, they're headed for a disaster. That's the reality. That's an accurate perspective on him, realizing that he is the foundation. And if we're going to be a part of the harvest, be a part of this locally grown plant, helping other people come to know him, we've got to hold on to that perspective. For me, an indicator that I've gotten my perspective off is usually when I start to envy other people. When I look at other people's lives and I, I'm like, oh, I wish I had what they had, or I wish my life was, I wish I was experiencing what they're experiencing. Usually envy for me is an indicator, not always, but often it's an indicator that, okay, I, I've started to view Jesus like an accessory, and I'm not viewing him like the foundation that he is. So for you, when you look around, do you see the harvest? Do you see that the fields are ripe, just like Jesus said? If you don't, consider the perspective you have on Jesus. Is he, is he an accessory? Is he just an add-on? Can you kind of pick and choose what you do? And it, at the end, you know, it's not really that important. Or is, or is he a foundation? And having the right foundation is super important. Consider your perspective on him. It might impact how you see the harvest. Another thing for us to do to have eyes for the harvest is we need an accurate perspective on people. So it starts with an accurate perspective on Jesus, and then we have an accurate perspective on people. These two really go hand in hand. If you're going to view people the way they really are, you've got to view Jesus the way that he really is. Again, it's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We already read this verse, but he says this. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Saying from now on, okay, we've, we've realized Jesus is the only solid foundation. So now that we've realized that, we're not going to regard anybody from a worldly point of view. Now, what's a worldly point of view? Well, a worldly point of view is using the categories of this world to describe and think about people. So kind of like we, we limit people to, you know, we kind of categorize them and limit them to maybe their occupation or, you know, maybe I'm dealing, this is a rich person or a poor person or this is an addict or this is a Democrat or this is a Republican or that's a good driver and that's a bad driver. And we just kind of on the surface, we just kind of look at them and we categorize them and then kind of put them in this group and we've, we've labeled them. We do that all the time. That's a worldly point of view. But again, just like with Jesus, there's a lot more going on than just our average assumption. He's the only foundation we can build on. When it comes to other people, there's a lot more going on than just the worldly point of view. So just like with Jesus, he's the only foundation to build on. When it comes to other people that we interact with, that we're in families with, other people that we see, the reality is, is this is someone who is made in God's image. That means that they are incredibly, invalu incredibly valuable. Not only were they made in God's image, but the foundation that they choose to build on in this life 
will determine where they spend eternity. That's an accurate perspective on people. So what that means is, all of a sudden, instead of them being the you know, crazy family member who drives you insane, now all of a sudden you realize this is someone created in God's image who's either marching towards an eternity with God or they're marching towards an eternity separated from him. All of a sudden, when you have this correct perspective and you realize people are made in God's image and the value they have and what they do now will determine their destination, what they build on, when you realize that, now instead of it being, you know, the person on your street who looks like they have the perfect life and you want to be just like them, or instead of it being the addict who can't get clean, now it's, okay, this person standing before me, this is an eternal soul that hangs in the balance. And when you start to view people like that, suddenly the questions you ask about them are a lot different. Instead of it being, you know, I hope I don't have to see them for five more years till the next family reunion. Now it's, you know, I wonder if this will be the last time I see them. I wonder what's true about their soul. I wonder if they know how much God loves them and what he's done for them in Jesus Christ. You start to ask different questions about them. For me, an indicator that I'm not viewing people from the right perspective oftentimes is, you know, when, I'm, when I start to get annoyed or maybe I start to get critical of other people. You know, when I'm interacting with people and there's just kind of this growing sense of annoyance and impatience with them. Or if, as I think about people and, you know, I start to have thoughts that kind of criticize them or nitpick them or kind of, kind of pull them apart. Oftentimes for me, that's an indicator that I'm, I'm not viewing them as somebody made in God's image who's incredibly important, somebody who has eternal value. You know, I'm just viewing them at the surface level. I'm viewing them as, you know, they were an inconvenience to me or, you know, they got in my way or, you know, I don't really like interacting with them or, you know, just being critical of their life. That's an indicator for me that my perspective on other people is off. Again, it's what Jesus says, John chapter 4. He says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. So we're, we're surrounded by people who are ready to enter into a restored relationship with God. When you look at the people that we're surrounded by, do you see that? I'll be honest, I don't always see that. I don't. And that's why for me, when I realize, okay, I'm not looking at people right, when I've got these indicators, then it's like, okay, I've got to go to work on my perspective, how I view them. I've got to line it up with the reality of this is somebody made in God's image, and this is somebody who the foundation they build on here, that'll, that'll determine their eternal destination, and that's really important. So I need to view them that way and interact with them based on that reality. So if you want eyes for the harvest, it starts with an accurate perspective on Jesus, and then... Do you have an accurate perspective on people? Next thing we can do to have eyes for the harvest, to see people around us the way that Jesus says they are, is to pray for the harvest. Praying for the harvest helps open our eyes to what's going on around us. Prayer, prayer is pretty interesting. Prayer is how we interact with God. It's one of the ways we interact with God. God has he's already spoken clearly through his word, and that's why the Bible is referred to as the word of God. He's spoken to us through his word. What we do is our words back to God are through prayer. So that means when you combine what God's already said in his word, the Bible, and then you build into that a habit of praying, now what you have is you have a dialogue between you and God. You have this conversation going. And as you do that, what happens is God starts to shape you and starts to change you. You start to become something. 
And one of the ways that God shapes us and changes us is through the process of relating to him and interacting with him is he starts to open our eyes. This is what it says in Colossians chapter 4. It says this, it says, devote yourselves to prayer. Make it a habit. Build this into your life. Pray. And then he says this, he says, being watchful and thankful. He attaches prayer to the ability to see. Actually, he does this multiple times throughout the Bible, over and over again. He attaches prayer to our ability to see. And that's pretty interesting if you think about it, because when we pray, I mean, before I came up here, you know, Bevan prayed for the new youth pastor, Andrew. What did we do with our eyes? We closed our eyes. So didn't it kind of seem a little counterintuitive that prayer would help you see, but yet you close your eyes when you pray? And one of the reasons we do that is because as we go through our lives, as we go through the routine of our lives, it's really easy to just start thinking that all there is is the physical, what we can see. The only thing that exists is the visible, what we can see with our eyes. But what God's done is he's placed us in this world full of both visible realities and invisible realities. You know, one of the invisibles is God himself. I mean, we can't see God, but still we have a relationship with him. So he's saying, hey, he's saying watch and pray, because one of the things that prayer does is it, it opens us up to see what we can't see with our visible eyes. Prayer helps us see the harvest around us. I mean, we just see lots of people heading in a bunch of different directions, but when we really start to go to God and pray, he uses that to allow us to see people as they really are. He gives us eyes for the harvest through prayer. So what, what can you pray for? If you're going to pray for the harvest, what are some things that you can pray for? Well, a couple ideas. I'd start by praying that others would be saved. It's pretty simple. I mean, if, if that's what the harvest is, if the harvest is people entering into a relationship with God and experiencing salvation, then pray for that. Pray for the, them to experience the same thing that you've experienced. This is what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10. I love the way that it says this in the message. It says, all I want for Israel is what's best for Israel. Salvation, nothing less. I want it with all my heart and pray to God for it all the time. Now, Paul, the guy writing this, you know, we already talked about him a little bit. He was a Jew by birth. He's born into the nation of Israel. So what he's praying for is he's praying for his family members, his friends, people that he went to school with, people living in his neighborhood. He's praying for his people. So he's praying for. He's a member of the nation of Israel. And what specifically he's asking God to do is he's saying, God, I want what's best for them. When you think about what love is, that's really what love is. Love wants what's best for the other person. So because he cares for them, he's saying, hey, I want the best thing to happen for them. And he knows that the best thing is salvation. So he goes to God and he says, hey, God, I want what's best for them. I care about them. I'm asking you that they would be saved. We can follow his example and do the same thing. Pray for people. Pray that people would be saved. And I would encourage you, pray for people by name. I mean, think about the people that God's put you around who aren't in a relationship with him and just spend time and pray for them by name. It's something that's really helped me with this in praying for people. And I'll be honest, sometimes when I pray, you know, I've, I've got some friends that I'm praying for who aren't Christians. Sometimes it's, it can be really quick prayers. You know, it's like a 15, 30 second total prayer because it's just like, God, I pray for this person, this person, this person, and this person that they would be saved. Amen. And it's pretty, pretty short and sweet. And something that Bevan um, kind of challenged me with, you know, what he was teaching on recently is um, he said, hey, when you pray for people, instead of just this like little 15 minute, think about the new future they could experience if they started to build their life on the foundation of Jesus. Just imagine what, what would their future be like if they decided to follow Jesus? So one of the ways this has looked like for me is 
my wife and I, we have a, we have a friend, and um, she's kind of got a pattern of um, putting up walls in relationships. She, you know, everything will be going good for a while, a season, and everybody's connecting, and, you know, she's real engaged and involved, and then, you know, something will happen, and nobody even quite knows quite what it is. We think it's attached to some pain she has in her past. Something will happen, and she'll just, all of a sudden, she'll just shut down, and these walls will go up, and she'll even sometimes, she'll start to kind of relationally punish other people, and then, you know, kind of without warning, she'll kind of suddenly, like, you know, come out of it and try to act like everything's good and nothing happened, and What's really sad is you kind of starting to see this pattern, you know, and it kind of is starting to trickle into, you know, her kids and how her kids relate to other people. So my wife and I are good friends with her, and she's not a Christian. So as I pray for her to come to know God's love for her and God's forgiveness, I started to imagine, okay, specifically, how would her life change if she realized how much God loves her? If she experienced Christ's forgiveness in her life, how, how could that forgiveness help her forgive what happened in the future? And instead of holding on to that past and really letting that past control her, how could she move forward in freedom? How, how, would, that, how would that impact her? Thinking of specific ways. I mean, thinking about like her family. I mean, I know she loves her family and her kids. I know she wants to raise them right. But I see this pattern already creating in them where they're doing the same thing they're seeing their mom do. So just praying that, okay, if she came to experience that, how would that, how would that trickle down and impact her kids and how they interact with other people and how they react to stuff that happened? So I'm just, I'm just bringing my imagination. I'm starting to pray for that. And I'm not just praying for what she experiences here. I'm, I'm praying for her eternity. I'm praying that, you know, if she realizes, she enters in a relationship with Jesus and she's headed for heaven with God, if she realizes that, how is that eternal hope going to inform what she does right now. And just thinking about those things, thinking about the closeness, the encouragement that she could have with people close to her if she really came to know Jesus. And I pray for those. So I pray that she becomes a Christian, then I use my imagination and think through, yeah, but what are the, what are the specific ways that if she builds on that foundation, how could that impact her future? So for you, I'd encourage you to do the same thing. You know, think of them by name and then start to imagine that new future. And if you're struggling with who to pray for, you know, I'll give you kind of a head start, a, a tip on who to start praying for is think of the most recent person that you've been frustrated or annoyed with. Just start praying for them. They might already be a Christian, which is good. They could use prayer too, but just start praying for them. I mean, who's, who's the first person that comes to mind? Somebody that maybe is a difficult person or somebody that, you know, you see this happening in their life. Just start with them. Start praying for them and start praying for the new future that they could experience. Another thing that we can pray for is opportunities. Ask God to give opportunities to be a part of this plan. Opportunities to open our mouths and tell people about how God's changing our lives and how he could do the same for them. It says this in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. It says, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I'm in chains. Again, this is written by Paul, and this is so interesting to me. I love this because he's in prison. He's in chains. He's chained to a wall. And what is he asking other people to pray for? A door to be opened. He's thought through, okay, here I am in prison. If I'm going to share my faith, I'm chained to this wall. I can't move. If I'm going to share my faith, what's going to have to happen for me to share my faith? The door is literally going to have to open, and somebody's going to have to walk in the room. Otherwise, I'm not going to be able to tell anybody about Jesus. He prays specifically for a specific opportunity. He's thought through it. You know, same for you and me. I mean, what are, those, what are the doors that would need to open 
if you and I are going to open our mouths and tell other people about Jesus? What are they? And with, with your family members, what are the things that would need to happen? With your neighbors, what are the, what are the doors that would need to open? I mean, maybe they literally need to just open their door and come out and talk. I don't know. But think about what are these things? You know, we're doing this, we're doing this barbecue box. There's the boxes out on the patio. And what we're doing is we're just encouraging people from the church to, you know, have a meal with their neighbors or people that might not have a relationship with Jesus yet, family members, friends, whatever, just kind of wrapping up the summer. But think about, you know, if you're doing one of those barbecue boxes, think about, you know, the different opportunities. Think about, you know, the people that are coming. Pray, you know, pray that they would remember. You know, if you invite them to, to your, your party and invite them over for a meal, pray they remember. You know, pray that, pray that their schedule is free. Pray that you'd be able to get in conversations with people. And even if you don't have a, you know, conversation about faith, pray that maybe, you know, a bridge would start to be built so that, you know, maybe you could follow up and have more conversations. Maybe eventually tell them about Jesus. But ask for opportunities. Ask God, God, I want to be a part of this. I want to join in this harvest. Give me opportunities. Open doors. Allow me to be a part of what you're doing. Pray for opportunities. Another thing to pray for is pray for more workers. You know, as you're praying for opportunities, as you yourself are going to be a part of this, pray that more people would get involved. It's a really interesting thing that Jesus says in Matthew 9. He's talking about the harvest. He says, it says this. It says, then he said to his disciples, Jesus says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He says, the harvest is plentiful, more than enough, but the workers are few. He's saying there's not enough workers. We need more workers. Now, does he say pray for more workers so that the people who are currently working can take more vacations, you know, and sleep in more often? Is that why he says pray for more workers? No. More workers means there's a greater yield, means that more is brought in. So that means that if, if he's talking about people's lives, he says pray for more workers to join with you in what you're doing. What he's saying is that if more people are doing this, if more people are participating in a locally grown plan, helping the people around them come to know Jesus, you know what that means? More people's eternities are changed. More people enter into relationships as more workers get involved. So he says, pray for that. Pray for more workers, because that means there's going to be a greater yield. There's going to be bigger results. More people are going to have their eternities changed, because they're going to realize that Jesus is the only solid foundation. We need more workers. You know, for, for you, if, you're, if you have kids on a youth sports team, pray for other parents to join the team who are Christians, who you can partner with, you can, you can lock arms with, and you together can love and be a light on that team for the kids and the other parents. In the schools that your kids are in, pray for other Christian parents, not just so they can go and do it, but so you can join with them and partner with them. In your neighborhoods, with the people around you who you're already trying to build relationships with, again, pray for more workers. Pray for more Christians to move on the street. In, in, your, in your work settings, pray for other employees who are Christians. Not so you can kind of become this little Christian club and just hang out and not interact with everybody else, but so that you together can partner and help more people hear the message, the good news of who Jesus is and how he's changing lives, your life in particular. I mean, ask God, God, allow there to be more workers. Think globally. Think, I mean, throughout the world, I think it's 7.6 billion or something like that around the world. That's a pretty big harvest. Think about it. Think about all the different stuff going on in the world. Pray for more people to step up and join God in his plan where, they've, where he's placed them. I mean, pl- pray globally. 
these barbecue boxes that we're doing this summer. You know, as, as we've been giving these out for the last few weeks, we've actually given out 250 of these barbecue boxes. That's pretty amazing. I know, I know some people have already done these um, meals, and we've heard some of the stories about them, and I know others are planning to do them. But think, just imagine with me for a second, if there were 250 intentional meals put on by people of this church to get to know others who don't know Jesus better. I mean, just think about what God could do. As 250, I mean, that's not just 250 individuals, that's families. So sometimes, you know, it's a mom and dad and kids. I know I've heard of some stories where, you know, there's two people that lived across the street from each other who go to the church, they're doing the barbecue meals, and so they're partnering together. But think about if, you know, all the people involved, what God could do is we just put ourselves out there and start to build relationships and start to look for opportunities to share. And that's, you know, that's a lot of people joining with you if you're doing the barbecue box. Pray for them. Pray for their meals. Pray for the conversations. Pray that people would come to their meals. If you already did a meal, grab another box. Do another meal. That's what I've heard. I mean, when, you know, when my wife and I did this, the number one thing our neighbor said was, we should do this again. I've heard that from other people as well that did it. Their neighbors were like, oh, we should do this more often. Okay, go go get another box. They're free, you know? If you didn't do the box, you know, grab one. Super easy. It's kind of like self-made. We didn't provide the meat, but we provided everything else. You don't even have to do meat, actually. Somebody told me that they were going to do like a vegetarian meal. Great, do it. You know, just have a meal. Have people over. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We need more people. Not so the people that are doing it can take it easy, but he's saying, hey, the more people doing this, the more people that are going to come to know him. That's what he says. So he says, hey, get specific and pray for that. So if you're, if you're wrestling with having eyes for the harvest, you know, prayer helps us open our eyes. So pray that people would experience salvation. Pray that God would give you opportunities to open your mouth. Pray that more workers would be sent out to join in the work. Again, this is Jesus' assessment when he looked out. John chapter 4, he says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. So when you look around, is that what you see? Do you see the harvest? I mean, when you look out at this city, this region that we live in, the neighborhood, your work, your family, when you look at it, do you see, do you see a field that's ripe for the harvest? Do you have eyes to see that? If you don't have eyes for the harvest... Consider your perspective on Jesus. Do you view him as the only solid foundation to build a life on, or is he just kind of an accessory that we can kind of pick and choose? What he says, it's not really that important. You know, he's just kind of an add-on feature. What's your perspective on Jesus? You know, if, you, if you're struggling with eyes for the harvest, how do you view other people? Is your annoyance and frustration with them growing? Or do you view them as this is somebody made in God's image who is of incredible value? And the foundation that they build on in this life will determine where they spend eternity. I mean, how do, you, how do you view them? Are you growing in impatience or are you moving towards them to share with them? How do you view other people? If, if you're struggling with eyes for the harvest, are you praying for the harvest? Are you spending time? Honestly, for me, this was challenging. One of the reasons I've enjoyed these messages so much is because I've really been challenged personally. I don't spend enough time specifically praying for these things. So it's one of the ways that I've been motivated. I think I struggle with the harvest sometimes, and I don't see it because, honestly, I'm, I'm not going to God praying for it, not having him open my eyes, asking for people specifically, imagining, praying for opportunities. So what about you? I mean, when you look out, do you see it? When you look at the people that are around you, 
the family God's placed you in, where you work, your neighborhood, the sports teams, the schools. Do you see a harvest? Do you see what Jesus says is out there? He says the fields are ripe. He says the harvest is plentiful. It's all around us. But the question is, do we have eyes to see it? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the fact that you include us in this plan to help people come to know you. And I, for one, God, I come before you, and God, I admit to you that so often I don't have eyes to see it. So God, I pray that, I pray that you would help me have an accurate perspective on Jesus. Be reminded that he's the only solid foundation. Not envy what others have or want their lives, but realize that building a life that lasts is only built on Jesus. It's the only one. God, I pray that you would help me to see people the way that they really are. Pray that you would help me to see them as people who have been made in your image and are of incredible worth. And Father, I pray that you would help me to pray more for the harvest. And in doing so, you would, you would help my eyes to open. So God, I, I, I for one come before you and say that I've got growth to do. God, I pray for this church. I pray that we would do this. I pray as individuals that we would, we would start to see Jesus as he really is. And we would start to see people as they really are. And we would come to you routinely and ask you to do a work and bring in more of a harvest. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.